This morning we are going to be talking about one of Proverbs' most memorable characters. Character the sluggard. Now, if you guys have been with us uh, for the last couple of months, you know we're in the middle of a wisdom series that's going to carry us through the end of the year and that we're in Proverbs right now, the most familiar, perhaps the most beloved of all the wisdom books. And that the way we're trying to, to eat this elephant is to take the themes that Proverbs talks a lot about and to try to pull them like a thread all the way through the book to figure out what Proverbs has to say about its favorite subjects. And no series on Proverbs would be complete, I don't think, without careful attention to this tragic, comedic character, the sluggard. Now, I wonder, I'm not going to ask you for a show of hands here, but I, I wonder, how many of you, how many of you feel overwhelmed by life? How many of you feel restless, unable to decide what to do, unable to figure out what would make you happy? How many of you feel like you're not accomplishing anything that's meaningful? How many of you feel like things keep sneaking up on you, blindsiding you? How many of you find yourself complaining sometimes, maybe all the time, about work? about your job, maybe just doing what's necessary so long as you have to, looking for a way out? How many of you find that things are constantly piling up on you, undone, a pile so big you can't imagine what it would look like to make it all the way through that to-do list and rest in peace? If that describes any of you, why? Now, the answer, the answer to that question is complicated, and you're not going to hear me give you a good diagnosis of what's going on in your life this morning. I wouldn't do that. One of the things about wisdom is that it's complicated. Life is complicated. Lots of circumstances come into play that we can't really see or predict or, or manage, that in any, one, in any one issue you're dealing with in your life, there might be lots of different motives or pressures from the outside that are coming in and affecting what you're experiencing. But Proverbs makes a suggestion to you. If any of those diagnostic questions ring a bell for you, Proverbs makes a suggestion to you that I don't want you to evade this morning. Proverbs would suggest that at the very least, it's worth thinking about, worth considering whether you might be a sluggard. Now, we're going to get into the material on the sluggard this morning, and some of it is over the top. It's meant to be funny, sarcastic, biting, extreme, to make its point. For that reason, you're not going to see yourself there, probably. Now, you might see some people that you know in these biting, sarcastic, over-the-top descriptions. You probably aren't going to see yourself there. So our job this morning is to try to push past the defense system in ourselves that keeps us from feeling like sluggards so that we can see if we're really here and know what we should do about it. Because what we've seen from the beginning of this wisdom series is that one of the main marks of the wise is that they get they don't see everything. They get that they don't have themselves figured out even, much less the world around them and the things that affect them, that there is a much bigger pie out there than they can eat at once. And so the, those who are wise are constantly looking for somebody outside to speak in. They're constantly trying to put themselves under the microscope so that they can get a better look 
at what otherwise might have been hidden from them. And that's what I want you to try to do for yourself this morning as we sit underneath the teaching of Proverbs on the sluggard. Let's put ourselves under there and try to imagine if, if we actually might be the one Proverbs is describing. Because I want to I make a claim this morning uh, that, that all of us, every single one of us in here has some sluggard in us. And that we would all be happier, we would all feel more free, we would all be more productive and more God-glorifying if we could recognize and root out the sluggard inside. Now, what I want to do this morning is spend almost all of our time sort of profiling who the sluggard is, what he looks like, how you can recognize him. I want to, I want to approach it as a, uh, a sort of, well, it's a Jeff Foxworthy tribute. I'll just be honest. You might be a sluggard if. But it's more than just a Foxworthy tribute. I frame it this way, you might be a sluggard if, because the Proverbs are not meant to be absolute labels. They aren't meant to, uh, to, 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 to pinpoint and describe everything that's going on in one of your circumstances. The might be a sluggard is genuine. These marks aren't sure things for yours or for anyone else's life. But if you want to see them, if you want to see what's true, you need to take these marks as seriously as you possibly can and genuinely ask yourself if maybe this is what's going on for you. I want to spend most of our time profiling the sluggard and then at the very end come to Jesus who offers a kind of rest to those who are seeking it that they won't find in the rest of the sluggard. I want to begin by reading a couple of the most memorable passages on the sluggard. I'm going to ask you to stand with me while I do this. You can flip if you want to follow around, uh, along with me. We're going to be jumping a lot today. So you're not going to want to follow every place that I quote for you. But two that, are, that have uh, more substantive teaching on the sluggard are Proverbs chapter 6 and then Proverbs chapter 26. So I'm going to read those two sections about the sluggard now. And then we'll, we'll work back through them throughout the rest of our time together this morning. This is the word of the Lord from Proverbs chapter 6. Go to the ant, O sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief, officer, or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, And poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. Now this is from Proverbs chapter 26, beginning in verse 13. The sluggard says, there's a lion in the road. There's a lion in the streets. As a door turns on its hinges, so does a sluggard on his bed. The sluggard buries his hand in the dish And it wears him out to bring it back to his mouth. The sluggard is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who can answer sensibly. This is the warning of God's word to us this morning. You can be seated. Pretty much everything I'm going to say today is a warning. 
That's what Proverbs means, this test case, to serve us, to warn us against following the way of the sluggard. And I've got a few, I've, I've sort of consolidated and arranged all the material from Proverbs on the sluggard into a few different marks. And here's the first one. You might be a sluggard if, you might be a sluggard if you have trouble getting started. If you have trouble getting started. If you want to know what the, proverb, what the sluggard is up to in Proverbs, if you want to describe him based on what he's doing, the best guess is that he's probably sleeping somewhere. The sluggard loves to sleep. How much sleep does a sluggard need, you ask? The answer? Not eight hours, not ten hours, not twelve hours. The answer is always just a little bit more. How long will you lie there, O sluggard, we just read? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little more folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber. That same exact phrase comes up again. Identical phrase comes up again in chapter 24. There, it's used to explain a scene that the wise man passes by. The wise man there in chapter 24 says that he passed by the field of the sluggard and he looked. And what was growing there? Nothing but thorns, covered in thorns. The walls around the field broken down over time through through decay and neglect. Why? Same, same phrase quoted, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. It's an image that confirms the point of Proverbs chapter 10, verse 4, that a slack hand causes poverty. A hand that won't go to the plow, that won't get started with what needs to be done, is going to lead in the end to having nothing. Now, the sluggard may have great intentions. The sluggard is one who's always talking a big talk. The sluggard has great ideas, and they're going to get to it. They promise. They will get to it. It's a little little more sleep first, a little more rest. It's what Proverbs 14, 23 calls mere talk, and you can't eat off of it. You can't eat off of mere talk. And here's the point. the, The sluggard, where does it show up in us? It shows up in our procrastination for example. Our delay in just doing what we know needs to be done but maybe don't want to do. Could be we're waiting for somebody else to do it. Could be we're intimidated by the scale of what needs to be done. Lots of reasons for not getting started, but the sluggard's always got one. The sluggard's always got one and holds back from doing what needs to be done. And the point of Proverbs is that this holding back from getting started from just getting in there and getting your hands dirty is not wise. That it isn't based in the fear of the Lord that is the beginning of all wisdom. The fear of the Lord that recognizes God as the giver of responsibility and the giver of strength to do what needs to be done. The God whom you can trust with a task that is too big for you. Fear of the Lord says you get in there and you do what's been given. The sluggard shrinks back and therefore is a fool. You might be a sluggard if you have trouble getting started. But you might also be a sluggard if you have trouble getting finished. Maybe for you, the, the, the trouble is not that you, that you have a hard time getting started. Maybe you got started on a ton of different things. Maybe you're always having new ideas. Maybe you're launching new ventures all the time. Could be that your life is full to the brim of things that you've, been, that you've begun, that you've, 
that you've committed to but can't seem to complete. Does that sound familiar? Some of Proverbs' most biting sarcasm is aimed at that, at that particular sluggardiness, the sluggard to get started but can't get finished. Here's a couple of my favorites. There's one that comes up twice. It comes up in chapter 19, verse 24, and in chapter 26, verse 15. We, we read it just a moment ago. The sluggard buries his hand in the dish, but it wears him out to bring it back out. You imagine this is the guy who uses all of his energy to stick his hand into the chip bag, but then he just leaves it there. And this is what I mean. I meant earlier when I said this is over the top. I mean, that doesn't sound like you. You're like, I, I can always bring the chips to my mouth. <laughs> but the point of it is that it's, it's to make a ridiculous, extreme, over-the-top jab at those of us who start things we don't finish. We get worn out by the starting of it. Well, maybe more precisely, we start it, but then once anything is involved in it that's too hard, that isn't something we enjoy, that we don't in that moment desire to do, we leave it off. I think that's the image that comes out another one of my favorites. This is chapter 12, verse 27. Whoever is slothful will not roast his game, but the diligent man will get precious wealth. I had to think about that one a while before I recognized what he was saying. Whoever is slothful, the sluggard, will not roast his game. What's he talking about? He's talking about a guy who likes to go hunting. He enjoys most everything about hunting. He likes to get out in the crisp early morning air. He enjoys all the stuff, you know, the camo, the GPS navigators, the doe urine that coats him and gives him the right scent. He's got the newest rifles and the best sights. He knows how to track them. He enjoys the the smell of, of the morning in the woods in this deer stand while he waits. And he loves the thrill of shooting, that perfect shot. But he hates to clean them. He hates what's involved in skinning that thing. Sorry. I'm an Alabama boy. This doesn't gross me out. Sorry if it does you guys. There's a, actually, I'm just going to press pause right there and skip over what comes next in the deer hunting process. But you want to know that the, the, the path from a, a shot deer to a tasty deer sausage is not a pretty one. And the slugger doesn't want to do it. He doesn't want to roast his game. He likes to shoot it. But then, you know, at, at that point, the fun's over. So, so is his effort. The sluggard will go only so far as his desire will take him, his desire of the moment, his desire for instant gratification. And he goes no further. He doesn't follow through. And what we know, what Proverbs knows, what wisdom tells us is that few things that really matter will ever get finished that way. The sluggard in Proverbs is always meant to contrast and to show us more clearly, by contrast, what a diligent work ethic is. So a lot of the Proverbs go back and forth between the sluggard and the diligent. The sluggard and the diligent. Diligent work ethic. Someone with follow-through comes out in the work ethic described in chapter 30, verse 25. One of Proverbs' favorite characters. The ant. The ant of chapter 30, verse 25 Describe it this way. This is a counterexample to the sluggard who starts things that he doesn't finish. The ants, by contrast, are a people not strong, yet they provide their food in the summer. What's the point? They have what they need when they need it, not because they had power to take it from somebody else, not because they had an incredible uh, strength 
that allowed them to do it quickly, but because they just kept at it. The ants do what needs to be done when it needs to be done, as long as it needs to be done, and therefore they have what they need. They eat in the winter because they're persistent, whether they like it or not. You might be a sluggard if you have trouble getting things finished. You might be a sluggard if you only work when you're told to. Back to the ants again. The ants of chapter 6, which we also read, they're our model in this next point. Now the ants, according to chapter 6, they don't need someone to tell them what to do. They get what needs to be done, and they do it on their own, because they want to. Consider her ways, we're told, and be wise. Without having any chief, officer, or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. What's the focus here? It's on motivation, right? The ant doesn't need someone else outside of himself to motivate him. He's self-motivated. He doesn't depend on a threat of punishment, on someone looking over his shoulder, controlling his actions. He doesn't have to be watched He's going to do what needs to be done. I I, I think this point is another one of those deceptive places where the sluggard can creep into our lives and not be noticed. I think it's especially true if you don't like what you do. If you're not happy in your work. If you hate your job, you're in good company, right? It's almost expected in our culture, I think, that, that if you ask somebody how work is going, you're probably going to get a complaint. It's just socially acceptable. We talk about the hard things of our jobs, about the things we wish were different. And what can come with that attitude is a sense that we'll only do the work that we have to do, that we're only going to do the work that's assigned to us, and maybe we're going to resent the assignment along the way for that matter. But the diligent, as opposed to the, the sluggard, the diligent gets what work is really about. That work is not something we have to do, but something God has given us to do. It's a gift to us. That there isn't anything we... There's no job out there that doesn't have meaning to it because it was given by the God who who has made us in His image. A God who creates. A God who does good work and calls on those whom He's made to do good work too. To reflect something of His beauty and His creativity in what we do, however mundane it might be. The slugger doesn't get that. The sluggard wants to avoid work, if at all possible. The sluggard, let's let's get real with it. Let's put it into our context. The sluggard works for the weekend. Works because they have to so that they don't have to. The sluggard works and lives for the vacations. The sluggard is working for retirement. Now, maybe they're really good at their job and spend a lot of hours on it. But, if they misunderstand what work is all about, if they're not in it because they love work and glorifying God by their work, then there's a sluggard in there, even behind many hours spent at the office. You might be a sluggard if you only do the work you're told to do. You might be a sluggard, too, if you often feel dissatisfied. That's another mark that comes through several times in Proverbs. Now, it's a little deceptive because on the surface, it looks like the sluggard's getting a ton of rest, right? But the rest the sluggard is getting is hiding a deeper restlessness of soul. He might be resting in his body, 
But underneath it all, he's restless. He is not getting what he wants out of life. The sluggard desires, craves, and gets nothing, Proverbs 13, 4 says, while the soul of the diligent is richly supplied. The rest of the sluggard is not a rest of contentment. It's not a rest of someone who's just taken life lightly, who's just sort of laid back and, and not stressed out. It's not that kind of rest. Don't think the rest of the beach bum who lives in a house with 15 others so that he can, you know, smoke weed and go surfing when he feels like it and do nothing else, right? The California golden-haired beach bum. That's not who we're talking about here. We're talking about someone who, who might, he might look like he's resting, he might look like he's just so chill that, you know, nothing ever gets to him. He might look like he's living exactly the life that he wants to, but underneath it all, it's not true. Underneath it all is a restlessness that never gets what it wants. Because in the sluggard, there are two things at war. There is the desire of the moment, and there is the desire for the future. And the desire for the future, the sluggard thinks big. The sluggard has ideas. He wants something great. But in the moment... The sluggard's desire for instant gratification keeps him from doing the things that are going to be necessary to get to the life that he wants. And so he never gets there. And he's always restless. This comes out in chapter 21, verses 25 and 26. The desire of the sluggard kills him, Proverbs says. For his hands refuse to labor. All day long he craves and craves, but the righteous gives and does not hold back. What's going on there? That one takes a little bit of thought too. All day long he craves and craves. The desire of the sluggard kills him. Here's the way one Old Testament scholar, a guy named Derek Kidner, puts this. Here's how he describes this verse. He, he's, he says that the sluggard lives under what he calls the tyranny of desire. The tyranny of desire. The sluggard lives, Kidner writes, in his world of wishing, which is his substitute for working. He can neither command himself nor escape himself. That's what Kidner says. What does that mean? The sluggard is at the mercy of his desires. He's got big desires for what he wants to be. But he is blown around by his little desires for the moment. His unwillingness to do anything he doesn't feel like doing when he feels like doing it. He is under a tyranny of the moment and its desires. And therefore, the desire of the sluggard kills him because it keeps him from ever being able to rest. He rests in the moment, but underneath it all, his soul is deeply dissatisfied because he is not who he wants to be. The good things always take effort and persistence and patience, and the sluggard in us is never satisfied. Maybe it's expectations that are too high, Maybe it's demanding some sort of life-justifying happiness out of what we do or what we become. A kind of happiness that, that can't account for the mundane things that all of us end up having to do. Whatever it is, though, his desire controls him and kills him. Because his desire never includes work. Not the kind of work that represents thriving for those who are made in God's image. A couple more. You might be a sluggard if you think things never go your way. If things seem to always come hard for you. If you just can't seem to catch a break. Getting further here into the consequences of a sluggard's lifestyle. Verse 
19 of chapter 15 describes the way or life experience of the sluggard like this. The way of the sluggard is like a hedge of thorns, but the path of the upright is a level highway. You get that? A sluggard's life is full of obstacles. It's just like he can't win for losing. Everything is hard. Just keeps running into things. Everything he tries to do seems to have roadblocks. And from the outside looking in, if you didn't know the sluggard and know that that person was a sluggard, you might think, oh, that poor guy, he just can't catch a break. So another one of Proverbs' examples is in chapter 20, verse 4. It says, the sluggard doesn't plow in the autumn. He will seek at harvest and, and have nothing. Now imagine yourself in an agricultural world like this one where whether or not you got crops is the difference between living and not living. And you see a guy who comes to his crops in the autumn and he's got nothing. Well, you feel for that guy. Guy can't catch a break. What's he going to do? But Proverbs is pointing to the reason he has nothing. He didn't do the work that needed to be done when it needed to be done. This is what happens. So, So similarly in our experience... If it seems like you just can't catch a break, that, that things just keep happening to you. It might be because things keep happening to you. Proverbs does not say that everything hard in your life is your fault. Job, a book we're going to get to next, explicitly says that's not the case. But Proverbs does say that if things keep getting in your way, you ought to think about whether part of the explanation might be that you haven't done the diligent work that's necessary in advance to make sure you have everything ready. The work of the diligent is not easy work. Life is not easy. It takes planning and preparation and paying attention, taking responsibility for yourself and for others. I, I, I get it. We've got to be really careful here we, not to blame the victim, all right? No one is saying that the hard things in your life are your fault. We're saying, if you keep finding yourself thwarted, you might want to consider whether or not part of the reason for that is that you haven't done the really hard prep work that it takes to have a smooth path in life, that you might want to start on that work now before it's too late. Here's the last one. You might be a sluggard if you often find yourself making excuses. If you often find yourself getting really creative at justifying what you don't want to do. Nobody can beat the creativity of our sluggard. Chapter 22, verse 13, and chapter 26, verse 13. Same, same phrase comes up. The sluggard's classic lion excuse. There's always a lion excuse. Oh, so I'm supposed to get out there and till my crops. But there's a lion outside. I'll be killed. I can't go out there now. You think, I, you think I'm crazy? Of course I can't help you move this weekend. Can't make it to that meeting. I can't finish that project you're waiting on. There's a lion out there. Of course, usually our excuses are a lot more subtle. Just a little more sleep. It's just a little bit. Just a little bit longer. I'm getting to it. Eventually. It's not going anywhere. Whatever the excuse, Proverbs 26, 16 summarizes the mindset of the sluggard and what's so dangerous about it. The sluggard is wiser in his eyes, in his own eyes, than seven men who can answer sensibly. The great danger to us 
as sluggards is that we don't see it, that we explain it away, that we refuse to face up to the truth. That's why one great takeaway from this picture of the sluggard is the same takeaway we keep urging every single week in the wisdom. You need to get yourself some friends in your life who aren't afraid to call you lazy, all right? You need to ask, you need to invite someone in your life to look at you carefully to see the circumstances that are causing you trouble or that you're wondering about and to speak honestly without fear of you getting your feelings hurt. We need to invite that from each other. I'm not telling you go out there and I want you leaving from this sermon this morning to identify all the sluggards in your life and tell them so. not saying that. I'm saying you need to go find a friend who you can ask if he or she thinks of you as a sluggard. That'll be a gift that they can give to you. Because our excuses are easy to believe when we really want to. That is the destructive rest of the sluggard. It's the main point for today. It's what Proverbs warns us against. This is all warning. But we're Christians. Our last word can never be warning. Our last word has to be a word of hope. Because Jesus has come to us in our restlessness, in our slothfulness and laziness, He has come as a light that shines into that darkness. And here's what he offers. He offers rest. The kind of rest that can set you free to do your work without fear. See, Proverbs assumes all through Proverbs, all through it, the assumption is that how we live, choices we make, those all flow from what's in our hearts. And they all point to whether or not our hearts fear the Lord or fear something else. And what our sluggishness reveals about our hearts is not a pretty picture. We can chalk some things up to personality. I get that some people are dreamers rather than doers. Some are the idea people, not the admin type people. Some of it may be personality, but underneath it all, we need to confront the restlessness of our souls that shows up in our sluggard mentality. I think... We put off work and responsibility because we put too much on work and responsibility. We put off work and responsibility because we put way too much on work and responsibility. What's the first question that you're asked when you meet someone new? What do you do? And what's behind that question? Isn't it, tell me who you are and why you matter in this world? Tell me why I should be impressed by you. No wonder we put off doing things that we fear will fail. No wonder we can't finish products. As long as, as, long as our projects are unfinished, there's still hope that they might come out well. As long as we're still working on it. No wonder we flip from one pursuit to another, unable to land on something that's solid. We've got too much at stake. We need our work to make us happy, to give us fulfillment. It's no wonder we're so quickly dissatisfied, so quick to look for the next big thing, so hesitant to push through the things that we don't want to have to do now. We look to our jobs to compensate for the failures of our past and present for the fact that we can't make our relationships work, for 
our inability to get people to like us or to find us attractive. Friends, the sluggard is sluggish because the sluggard is weighed down by guilt and fear and unhappiness. The sluggard, the sluggard for all of his weariness, for all of his rest, stays tired stays weary down to his bones. And Jesus says to the weary, Come. Come all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come all of you who are trying to prove yourselves by your stopping and your starting of all of this work. Come those who feel like you've got to provide for yourself but know that you can't. Come those who are still trying to satisfy yourselves by what you do. Stop trying. Start trusting me. Take my yoke upon you, Jesus says in Matthew 11. My yoke is easy. I carry it. You are with me. My burden is light. I carry it. I justify you. You're with me. So let's go out and do our work. Friends, if, if Jesus is for us, if he gives us a rest from our ceaseless attempts to justify ourselves, then that sets us free to do the work he made us to do without the shackles that make our work hard, unbearable, and ultimately avoidable. Why not get started when you know that Jesus' work is finished and He gives to His own everything that they need? Why not finish up that project knowing it's not going to be what you wish it was? Because Jesus has finished His work. It's given to you. He is good enough to justify your existence. Your work doesn't have to be. Why not finish it up and let it be what it is? Why not celebrate your work for what it is and not complain about what it isn't? Your work doesn't have to make you happy. Your work doesn't have to make you holy. Jesus has done that. Your work then becomes an opportunity, an opportunity to glorify the God who made you and gave himself to you, an opportunity to serve the people in your life who need what you have to offer, an opportunity to reflect as the image bearers of the one God of the universe, all of his beauty. I don't care how mundane your tasks are. I don't care how big or how distasteful. You've got an opportunity this afternoon to demonstrate your rest in the sufficiency of Jesus by the joy that you take in whatever it is you've got to do. Go do it. You're yoked to him. That's his promise to us. Father, we long for this rest that Jesus came to give us. Help us to see it, to savor it, to embrace it, and to lay our burdens down. If you don't help us, we won't be able to do that. So by your Spirit, make us, make us restful in the promises of Jesus, we pray. Amen.